Hello and welcome to Jill Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside Jill Johnson, Certified Financial Planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. He's been published in Forbes and the Hartford Business Journal. He's published eight of his own books, including most famously The Money Map. You see him on TV on the weekends on Better Money, on WFSB Channel 3, on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sundland, also on WCBB Channel 5 in Boston. Joel, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm doing good. Excited about the show today. We're going to talk about some things like the new Secure Act 2.0 that the Biden administration is contemplating. Um, we're also going to talk about some famous people that uh, we have heard about and uh, what's going on in the world of finance and the influence that they have. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, before we get into Secure Act 2.0. Let's talk about the housing market real quick, because I think this is on a lot of folks' minds. Uh, There are some bits of economic data that would suggest that maybe May was the month of May was the peak of the red hot housing market. You know, there are some leading indicators like pending home sales and mortgage applications and scheduled home tours have declined a bit in the last few weeks. Uh, Do you think there's anything to the idea that now that the the country is mostly back open for business uh, and people have something else to do with their lives. Are we done overpaying for homes or is that a trend that's here to stay, do you think? Well, I think there's two questions in there. One is, you know, what is the trend for the housing markets and, and is there cause for concern or is it still good and so on? And the other piece is, are we overpaying for homes? And, you know, a, a payment is a is a reflection of where the free markets are, right? So if we're paying X for a home, and uh, there are other buyers in the market that are willing to pay that much, and there are sellers, and they come together on that price. Just, you know, by definition, you're not really overpaying. You're paying for something that somebody is willing to sell something for. I, I don't know if I said that very clearly or not, but you know, overpaying is a relative term. I do think that if you're selling a house right now, you are in a really good position. My mother is selling a house out in Iowa. And even though it's not really updated, she's 87, so, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you can imagine what some of that wallpaper looks like. What? Wallpaper? Who has wallpaper anymore? (laughs) Guess what? People in their 80s have wallpaper. (laughs) Um, But even in that case, they think it's going to sell in in about seven days. So the market's very hot. Um, Some experts argue there's a bubble. I don't believe there is a bubble in housing right now, and uh, I think think that things look pretty healthy in that area, but... I think people are going to pay. People are, that are buying now are going to pay maybe 10, 12, maybe 15% more than they would have had they bought the same house last year. We are out of a pandemic. There's a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, but the economy is really strong, really, really strong right now. Prices are going up. Inflation is on the rise a little bit. Interest rates are moving up. And so I think there is going to continue to be a good demand and a good housing market throughout, at least throughout the summer. Interesting to see how that all unfolds. I was reading a blog post by an economist the other day that was looking at uh, ages and how there are so there's such a big percentage of the population right now in the age 30 to 40 range. Uh, it's a much higher percentage of the total population than it was 10 years ago. And that's kind of like prime home buying age range. Uh, you have a lot of people that rent through their 20s and then buy a home in their 30s. So they were saying, look, this is probably going to continue for another 10 years. 
of there being a lot of demand for home buyers. The question is, how many baby boomers are there going to be that are downsizing and then sort of adding to the supply to offset the demand? So it'll be really interesting to see how that all unfolds. And I know you're talking through a lot of these issues with your clients who are trying to figure out, you know, a lot of them are in that baby boomer range and they're trying to figure out, should we sell now? Do we stay where we are? If we're moving out of state now, do we keep this house and have it as a rental? How do we handle it? So I know you're having a lot of those conversations. Uh, you mentioned Secure Act 2.0. So Joel, last year at the beginning of 2020, Congress passed the Secure Act, which did a number of things related to retirement planning. Uh, they are talking about a Secure Act 2.0. It's already been through committee, I think. And there's pretty strong bipartisan support throughout the House and the Senate. Uh, so there's a good chance it'll pass at some point this year. I, I thought we should probably talk about some of the elements of this law and how they might affect folks. So, you know, the SECURE Act raised the RMD from age 70 and a half to 72. The SECURE Act 2.0 would, over the course of a few years, raise the RMD to age 75. So, Joel, first explain what the RMD is and why this increasing age might be important. Well, sure. The, the RMD is simply required minimum distribution. That's what RMD stands for. And it is simply the fact that you have to take out money from your retirement accounts at a certain age. And the idea behind this is, you know, if the IRS never forced a living person to take money out, there would never be any taxes on a big chunk of money because wealthy people do not have to use that money and so they could pass it on to their kids and then maybe their kids never have to use the money and they would pass it on to their kids. So there'd be this massive buildup of wealth of untaxed money possibly going on for generations. And so the IRS said, well, we're going to give people a incentive to save for retirement. But at age 70, they're going to have to take money out of those accounts. They're going to have to take some kind of a minimum out of those accounts. They just raised that age from 70 to 72, and now they're talking about raising it to 75. I think it's a good thing. It reflects longevity in the U.S. population. We're living much longer than we did 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, the age of 70 was picked many, many years ago, and I think Moving it to age 75 just simply reflects the aging population. It's also going to be a huge benefit to our clients because many people that have saved enough money for retirement don't want to take money out of those tax-deferred accounts as early as age 70 or even age 72. So interesting to see how that will affect planning for folks. How about this, Joel? This will obviously be more important, I think, for probably younger workers, but could affect some some older folks too, and that's that employers could auto-enroll you in a 401k. Whereas right now, most companies require you to opt in to participate in their 401k plan. Under the new law, any for-profit company with more than 10 employees can just automatically enroll employees in the 401k, and the employee would have to opt out if they don't want to participate. I think that maybe would kickstart the retirement savings process for a lot of people who aren't participating right now. Well, that's interesting. I, I think, you know, I think it'd be a good thing to, when somebody starts a job, they're just automatically enrolled in a 401k because some people just don't get around to it. And we definitely have a future retirement savings crisis in this country. As a business owner, I don't think I would just auto enroll people. 
And so there you have a situation where, yes, employers can auto-enroll people, but how many of them will actually do that? So I think overall, uh, to get back to the core of the question there, is it a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing that people can be auto-enrolled, but I don't see a lot of companies just going ahead and doing that. Another element of Secure Act 2.0, should it pass this year, is that they're going to increase the catch-up contributions quite substantially. Um, For people between the ages of 62 and 64, they'd be able to put maybe as much as an additional $10,000 into their 401k, which I guess is helpful for some people, but for other people, they say, well, I can't afford to add another $10,000 to my 401k, so you have to have the money in the first place, but for those who do, could be helpful. Yeah, it could be great. I mean, it's if you have the extra money and you want to save it, and it's interesting, the ages there, right? 62 to, to 64, so they're trying to backload somebody's retirement, um, especially if they've spent a lot of money sending their kids to school and they've sort of been trying to catch up over the last 10 years between maybe their early 50s to age 60 to be able to stuff that extra money in between age 62 and 64 and you know maybe have an extra 20 or 30 thousand dollars that gets put in that 401k that can turn into a lot of money down the line and so uh, that's a good thing it's you know anytime there's an incentive for people to save it's a good thing all right i'm very interested in this next possibility because uh you know if you currently want to take advantage of an employer match in your 401k, what do you have to do to take advantage of it? Well, you have to contribute yourself, right? So the employer has something to match. With this new law, again, if it passes, the employer could match funds in your 401k based on you making student loan payments. So you pay down your student loan, the employer can say, all right, well, you paid $230 under your student loan this month. We can put X amount into your 401k as a result of you paying off the loan. Very interesting. Well, that's a heck of a lot better than the government just paying off the loan. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, that discussion is just ridiculous. And um, as you know, John, I wrote an article that got picked up by pretty much every paper in the state of Connecticut about how um, it doesn't make sense to forgive student loans. But here is a opportunity that the government can, I don't know, hold a carrot out there by allowing yeah. employers to, to put, you know, let's say I have an employee, young employees, got $200 a month in student loans. He says, you know, I'm going to pay that $200 a month to my student loan. Um, I would be glad to as an employer if he's a good employee and um, I want him around for a while and and want to reward him for going out and getting an education and borrowing money and working hard. I, I like the idea of being able to match that student loan payment. Well, and think about maybe kids in their 20s who are paying student loans off, and they're not even going to start saving for retirement until they're in their 30s and have their loans paid off. Well, in this case, the employer can be getting that retirement savings process started for them. Then they have those extra years for that money to grow and compound before they get to retirement. So could be pretty powerful. Last thing on this Secure Act 2.0 that's interesting is that you could find old 401ks more easily. Essentially, they would create a national database that would sort of serve as a lost and found for old retirement accounts. So, you know, when you leave a company and your old 401k is there and you've been gone from that company for 20 years and you've probably had your address change and they're not mailing you anything anymore, this would help you find those old accounts. And I have to imagine, Joel, that there are a lot of people out there with accounts that they've completely forgotten about that probably have grown into something substantial because they just haven't been looking at it for years. 
Yeah, but I don't know, John. This kind of goes, you know, there's that comedian Jeff Foxworthy that says, uh, what did he have that whole routine? You may be a redneck F. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things about, you know, if you have lost track of a 401k, you may not be a very good retirement saver. <laughs> yep. uh, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I suppose well, but, it's but here's possible. The, here's the thing. If you're probably not a great saver and you have lost con- lost track of that account, aren't these the people that absolutely could benefit from that the most? A- absolutely, of co- of course it is. I just you know, I just I can't I can't, I guess I can't imagine somebody losing track of. I mean, I can see if there's twenty dollars. You know, maybe they worked for two weeks for an employer and left, and there's twenty dollars in there. But um, I, I think this is one of those things where they've written something into a law that's pretty darn irrelevant. I mean, how many people actually? have an old 401k and and they've completely lost track of it because remember that employer if the, if the money is somewhere and um they have the obligation to inform um the employee and because it's in an old 401k it doesn't get turned over to the state it's not like a lost security or bank account or something like that so i, I guess it's a nice thing i'm not sure how you know if it's a big deal that i would be shouting from the rooftops that this is great news Bottom line with all of this is that legislation is constantly changing. This doesn't even cover tax laws. That's a completely separate discussion of things that could be changing here in the next few months or year or so. Um, Joel, when people get their Money Map Retirement Review, what does that do to help them stay on top of changes as they come? Well, this is the year that we could have the last window of opportunity, actually, for the next six months or so to reduce taxes for the rest of our lives. When we do tax reduction planning for clients and for prospective clients, we look at how much taxes they're gonna pay for the rest of their life, not just how much they're gonna pay this year. And what the goal is, is to reduce their lifetime tax burden. Well, right now, we're in a situation where the administration has vowed, and certainly there's the political momentum in Congress to raise taxes. And I don't think they're, I just think it's going to go through. And I think, I hope it's not going to go through till next year. So we're in a situation where over the next six months, people ought to be thinking taxes. What moves should I make right now to reduce my future taxes? They're talking about estate taxes going up. They're talking about income taxes going up. Uh, they're talking about f- uh, deductions being phased out that many of our clients as retirees are enjoying right now. And so we've got to focus on taxes for the next six months. And you know, if you haven't done that, or if you're working with a financial advisor, or maybe you're just working with a stockbroker, they're not even a financial advisor, a certified financial planner, come in and have a conversation with us about taxes. Many of us work so hard to find better investments, and then we just flush the money down the toilet when it's made because we pay too much in taxes. So let's talk about your taxes. Call us. Come on in. Let's do a money map retirement review with a focus on tax reduction. That's 1-800-705-1232. Again, 1-800-705-1232. You can also text that number or text your name to that number. We'll get back to you and set up a time to get together and set up a money map retirement review, a custom money map for you. It's your custom financial plan on one page, and then we'll have a discussion that focuses on tax reduction, because this might be a window of opportunity that does not come back in our lifetime. So if you'd like to get that Money Map Retirement Review for yourself, reach out right now while it's on your mind. You can call and leave a message or text. Either way, somebody will get back in touch with you and find a time to make it happen for you. 800-705-1232 is the number to call. 800-705-1232. 
When you come in for your Money Map Retirement Review, you'll get a copy of one of Joel's books. Maybe you want the Money Map. Maybe you want the Lump Sum Pension Guide. Maybe you want the Ultimate 401k Guide. Maybe you want the People's Retirement Handbook. You can pick. You'll get that when you come in for your review. 800-705-1232. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel, let's open up the mailbag. Let's see what folks have for you today. Kate says, I thought I'd done a good job of saving over the years, but it seems like I'm probably behind where I should be. My brother has nearly $2 million saved, and it seems that most of my colleagues at work are in a similar stratosphere, but my husband and I are barely over the million-dollar mark. And we're now in our early 60s. What should we be doing to get caught up? Kate, the first thing you want to do is find out how much income you really want or you need in retirement. You, you want to back into this number. Don't compare yourself with other people. They might have different needs. They might have a financial disaster on their hands somewhere in their lives that you don't even know about. And so it's very difficult and, and rarely is it a win situation when you begin to compare yourself to other people. To find out if you're doing okay for retirement savings, think about how much income you want in retirement. Pretend you're retired right now. What do you want coming into the house after taxes that you can spend every month? And then we'll help you through our financial planning process back into a number that's the amount of money that you should have saved by now based on what you want your income needs to be. And let's say you're, let's say you are short. Well, there's a few options. One is we get a higher rate of return on your investments. Not always possible, but sometimes it's possible. Or you work a little bit longer or you save a little bit more. Those are really the only three moving parts that I can think of. But it's important to get a snapshot of where you really are and not compare yourself to other people. Do you get the question a lot from folks when they come in? You know, where where do we stand relative to other people our age? Do people ask that when they come in for their review? All the time. So, All the time. So how do you people respond say, to that? Yeah. And, and, and I say, well, it, it's really irrelevant depending on what you're measuring. If you're measuring are we going to be okay in retirement based on the income that we need, then we need to do an analysis of that. But most of the time, if you're asking me the question, do we have the same amount of money as somebody else? Again, that question's kind of irrelevant, right? If I live in San Francisco... I need a lot more money to live than if I live in Topeka, Kansas. And so if I live in San Francisco and I have $2 million and I live in Topeka and I have a million five, that million five in Topeka might be get, might get me a lot farther than the $2 million in San Francisco. So again, really bad to compare, but we do get that question a lot. People want to be scored. That's why we all love to uh, go online and take a you know, an assessment and get our score and so on. That's just part of the nature, I think, of Americans or maybe people in general. So people want to know how they're doing compared to other people. But I would tell you that's kind of an unhealthy thing to compare yourself to others because, quite frankly, you don't know what the rest of their situation is. You don't know what their cost of living is. You don't know what their family situation is. You have no idea. Interesting. So uh, just like when your parents told you when you were a kid, don't worry about it. If everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Well, the concept remains the same, right? Don't compare yourself to other people or worry about what they're doing. Uh, We'll take a question from Brian next. But first, how about this fact of the week, Joel? Did you know it's a federal crime to issue a check for less than $1? Why would that be a crime? I don't know. (laughs) Because Congress is so busy passing these relevant laws like that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why that would be a crime. I guess the check back in the day when that law was passed, it probably cost more than a dollar to process a check. I, yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine. 
Well, when I was a kid, I remember going on a field trip for, uh, for school, and we were supposed to bring $2 for the field trip, and my mom wrote a check for $2 for me to take to school. And my teacher was just beside herself that I would bring a check for $2, which admittedly I also thought was dumb, but my mom, for whatever reason, wanted a paper trail, so she was flirting with a federal offense there. Who knew? Hey, John, do you remember the first check you ever wrote? Not specifically, no. It was probably to the IRS, to be honest. I absolutely remember the first check I ever wrote. I was 11 years old. We were in Minnesota, and it was at Target in Bloomington, Minnesota, to buy a baseball glove. And back then, an 11-year-old could have a checking account as long as his parents signed for it. Wow. So you were like the – because now it's a joke to think about somebody writing a check at the grocery store or or at Target. But you were you were the ninety year old lady back then. I was the ninety year old lady. But yeah, I mean, my son. So here here's an interesting thing. So I just helped Noah um, purchase a car, and as part of that agreement, we paid a little bit, and he paid a little bit. Well, we were here, and so I had the money, so I wrote a check for the whole amount, and he's supposed to send me six thousand dollars. He can't send me $6,000 because he has no checks to go with his bank account. And then there's something where he's supposed to be able to transfer it to me, and, and that's screwed up, and I don't want to do any work, so I don't want to set up some Venmo account or whatever he's talking about. So it's become this real complicated thing where five years ago he could just write a check, yeah. and it'd be real simple, and we wouldn't have to have this long conversation where now all of a sudden I'm having to do work to get my money. Yep. Funny how that works. Well, um, it's also funny to me to think about you going to Target back then, because I don't think of Target as being a thing back when you would have been buying a baseball glove. But if you lived in Minnesota, well, it certainly was a thing. Target's Target's based in Minnesota. It was part of the Dayton company. They had their high-end store, which was Dayton's department store, kind of similar to, I guess, like a G. Fox or Lord & Taylor's. And then they had Target, which was their discount store. Yep. All right. How about a question from Brian here? Brian says, I inherited my mom's house about 15 years ago, and I've been using it as a rental property ever since. I've heard that capital gains taxes could be going up soon, so I'm wondering if now would be a good time to sell the house while the market is hot and before tax rates go up. What do you think? Well, you know, it's a great time to consider it. That's for sure. Um, If you think you're going to sell it at any time in the future, this is when you would do it at a potentially lower capital gains rate. Now, you have to look at what what's your return on that asset, right? And I've, you've heard me talk before about this is, you know, I had a client in Manchester, Connecticut, who owned a quarter million dollar house that was yielding $60,000 a year of cash flow. Well, that's a huge rate of return. What is that, about a 30% rate of return? Is it 30%? 60 into 250 is about 25%, 28%, somewhere in there. And so that's a really good rate of return. You might not want to sell that house. You might just want to keep it forever because the cash flow is amazing. On the other hand, most people on their rental real estate, when they own an individual home or a multifamily home, their real yield is only 3 or 4%. So I think it's a great time to be asking that question, Brian. I would need to know more about the whole financial situation that you find yourself in, but it's a good discussion to have. You ought to come in, you know, when we talked about having that tax review before the end of the year, these are the kind of issues that you want to be looking at. You know, should I sell a piece of property? Should I take extra money out of my 401k? Should I do a Roth conversion? Should I set up a trust and gift money into it for my kids? Those are all questions that need to be answered this year, and this is when to come in and visit those issues. They're so easy to put off, and things that we put off, you know, sometimes it's no big deal. This is a really big deal. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially, in your retirement that can go to pay taxes 
And that's a completely optional thing. And by doing nothing, by being complacent, you fall into that trap of paying all that money in taxes. So give us a call, set up a time to come in and visit with us, and we will focus on taxes. It's 1-800-705-1232. Again, 1-800-705-1232. There's no obligation. You can come in, sit down with us, have a cup of coffee. We get to know you, you get to know us, and then I promise we'll have a discussion about tax reduction. 800-705-1232 is that number to call. 800-705-1232. You can also text if that's an easier way for you to get the process started. You're not going to talk to anybody right now. Somebody from the team will reach out to you during regular business hours and set up a time for you to get that understanding of what you might need to be doing to save yourself some money on taxes. Financial planning for the perpetually overtaxed, you might call this. We can get the process started for you now. Just go ahead and call 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. Joel, thanks as always for your wisdom. We'll do it again right here next week, same time, same place, on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Have a great week. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.